Hey guys, if you like listening to us, um, you can follow us on Twitter or email us. Follow us on Twitter at writer, W-R-T-R, bagel, B-A-G-E-L, basket, B-S-K-T, on Twitter, or email us, writersbagelbasket at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. We want to know what you want to do. Submit fan art. Submit a logo. Do anything, because we want to hear from you. And if you have show suggestions, email them. Tell me apart, Lisa! Because if you were going to be some lame suburban dad, why couldn't you have been that for me? Correction, Homer. You're the second. That's right, Mr. Peabody! Quiet, you. Pizza, pizza, pizza! I'm so excited! I'm so excited! Ever banged an entire bachelorette party, baby? Welcome to Writer's Bagel Basket. I'm Scott Kerland, and this month is Musical March. Um, I did not do an opening (laughs) for this because I didn't know what to do. (laughs) Um, So my co-host for this month is, uh, he's been on the podcast before, and he is from a podcast that I love called Jukebox Zeros. It is Lee Martin. Hi. Lee, what do we watch? I'm... Not 100% sure, but from the looks of it, we are watching an episode of the uh, late 90s, early 2000s uh, HBO HBO prison drama, Oz. Created by Barry Levinson. (laughs) Yeah, this is the first time I've ever seen an episode of Oz at all, and is, is every episode as disjointed as this one is? I think so. Or did we just pick a weird one? I think so. So, we didn't. I didn't know when I was talking to Lee. Originally, this was set up. Dwight and I talked about doing Musical March, and he came up with the other two. Uh, one of the other episodes we we're gonna do, and I came up with the other one. But I didn't have a third one, which weirdly we're doing first. And I found out. As I went through the list of famous musical episodes for TV series, Scrubs came up, That 70s Show, Buffy, and then I saw Oz had an episode, and I never watched Oz growing up because I was too scared. I was like George Michael on Arrested Development, where uh, I, one time when I was little in 98, like I was 11 years old or, or 12 years old. Or like, or like Tom in the Boondocks. Yeah, I thought it was the Wizard of Oz. I just saw Oz, and I was like, oh, no. So, Oz was a TV show from 1998 to 2003. It was created by Barry Levinson, amongst other people. Barry Levinson, who did uh, Diner and Rain Man. And the show is about a correctional facility, which I don't know if some some of the prisoners wear, like, prison uniforms and then other prisoners are just wearing like adidas sweatsuits and jeans and stuff so like it was really hard to tell who was who the only thing i knew about the show is that jk simmons was on it christopher maloney kirk bd wong bd wong kirk avocado dean winter like uh a bunch of hudson ernie hudson a bunch of famous actors and this episode is the musical episode yeah. Uh, season five. Why is it ever the musical episode? Season five, episode six, and it's called Variety. And that ain't the half of it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we can't give a quick synopsis like we normally do because we're I not... have no idea what happened yeah, in that episode. We're not sure what happened. <clears throat> and there was no previously on Oz to give you a little backstory. And some of it was brand new stuff that made it seem like it was old, and other stuff was new stuff that was, I mean, old stuff that was supposed to seem new. A a lot of the stuff to me seemed like the kind of thing where you would have to have seen the rest of the season in order to follow some of the, you know, some of the vicarious uh, subplots that were going on there. And that and there were a lot of subplots. And that doesn't help us on the podcast where we try to point out the insanity of doing things right. like I mean, what the writers were thinking. Right. I mean, that's probably our folly for picking an episode that 
Was this like right near the middle of the season, or no? It was right near the end of the series. Like, oh boy! Like they had like another like six episodes left before the series ended. Oh boy! Because it was one of those HBO short series where like each season was like six episodes long, and this was like episode six. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, like uh, how the British do it. Yeah, we'll get to that later. Um. So. This episode, it tells, like, the day in the lives of these people, like, right after a variety show, and there's still, like, there's a white supremacist group, there's a militant Muslim group, um, there's, or I should say, militant, like, I, w- I would say, like, Malcolm X-style uh, group. Uh, before we actually get too deep into the episode, um, <clears throat> like I mentioned a little earlier, I'd never seen Oz before, you've never seen Oz before. So it was the first time seeing, like, everything, including the opening. Mm-hmm. And that's a long, long opening for the show. Two minutes and 12 seconds. And it keeps cutting to this logo that every time I looked at it, like, obviously it's the logo for Oz, but it looked like clip art to me. Yeah, it did. And also, uh, you had in your notes, what did you have in your notes? Because I have the same yeah, thing. The very first note that I put just says, Arrested Development. Yeah, it looks like Arrested development but i had meets a correctional facility like intro video right because obviously we've seen arrested development before we've ever seen oz so there's a lot of uh male pickle in that opening that's putting it lightly there's a lot of male nudity in that opening alone i mean it could be argued there's a lot of male nudity in that series yeah uh i mean the episode that we saw was relatively light on uh Relatively light on dongles, but, I mean, who knows? I've heard that this series has, you know, that reputation for being very stark and, like, very just in-your-face about those sort of stuff, so... Yeah, I... I don't know what they were thinking when, like, creating a show about prison, that's one thing, but creating a show about a prison... That is so loosey goosey because this prison, like some some of the cells, were like bars, and other cells were like like office business rooms, like glass doors that locked. Yeah, like the majority of the cells that I saw were just held up by fiberglass. I mean, I don't know if that meant like these are the really you know really dangerous prisoners, so don't use bars. But it was. It was just weird to see so many cells using that instead of just straight up iron bars, you know. Yeah. I like the like the idea that I got from looking at a lot of the prison scenes is that either like since it's so loose there, either these are the craftiest prisoners ever or this is the most incompetent prison staff of any prison. Didn't it, it kind of felt like it or was corrupt. It felt like it was like a sitcom like a group home on a sitcom. Kind of like, oh, we paid our debt to society, we're going to start over, and we're going to start this football team. What, like cheers if it was in a prison? I was thinking more like coach. Oh, boy. I mean, you had one guy who was like Dauber. (laughs) Okay, so so the episode starts with Rita Moreno, Academy Award winner, Rita I should say EGOT winner, Rita Moreno, singing uh, Days Like These by Janice Ian. It's years like these that make a young man old bend his back against the promises that life should hold. They can make him wise. They can drive him to his knees. Yeah. <laughs> You're speechless. And that just kind of, like, after that intro, seeing all that stark imagery and just that coming out of nowhere just seems like such a mood whiplash. It's like, are we accidentally watching Twin Peaks instead of Oz? I, I would know. have loved for this to be like Twin Peaks, directed by David Lynch. <laughs> oh, hi. So, uh, 
they're in the prison, and we got the white supremacist over here, and, uh, oh, we got the man with no face. <laughs> they're gonna sing a song now. <laughs> they're doing a good job. Give them a little soft shoe for the ladies at home. Now J.K. Simmons and the other one are rubbing their butts. <laughs> Look at them go. Oh, man, I would watch this show if it was just, like, <laughs> narrated or commentaried by David Lynch. <laughs> Now they're thrusting exuberantly. That guy's talking about rape. Don't worry, he'll get his later. Oops, that was a spoiler. Yeah, okay, so this, it's dark. And in this episode, they cover uh, sodomy, uh, forced sodomy. Uh, drug use. Drug use. A guy losing his arm for no reason. Yeah. And then in a previous episode, I guess one of the guards from like season one or two was blinded by another guy, uh, played by Kirk Avocado, who uh, wants to train a, a seeing eye dog and give him that dog. But in between all of these, there's like musical numbers, like almost Godspell style, like musical numbers. I was waiting for like Victor Garber and like a Superman shirt and suspenders to come out. Oh boy. Yeah, I mean, day by day. It was it was a weird conceit to base such a stark drama around, you know. I mean, like, like you mentioned, this all happens on the like on the verge of a talent show happening. And then there are just all these weird interstitials of people doing all these little soft shoe performances and stuff. It's just so jarring and yeah. weird. So, like, I thought that the variety show or the talent show was going to be, like, at the end. Right. It's usually five ta- minutes in. Usually talent show episodes of TV shows don't happen until, like, the end of the episode because it's, like, the big climax, the big show-stopping stuff. But nope, it's just right there slap-bang in the beginning. So, a, a confusing thing about, like, the inmates wearing... Um, regular clothes. the The warden is not wearing a suit. The warden, um, uh, McNulty, I, I guess his name is. Um, he looks like Mike Judge. I forgot the actor who plays him. Uh, but he's wearing the same exact clothes that like the other inmates are are wearing, and he's just walking around all willy nilly. Like in the actual variety show, he's sitting with the inmates, and. But he's surrounded by guards. Like, the warden wouldn't be... That's not gonna protect him. Yeah. A, the warden would be in, like, a suit. Um, do you remember in high school they used to make us in sociology class go to an actual prison? Yeah, I remember and that. And the warden came out, and he looked like he was, like, Tom Landry. He looked like he was he was wearing, like, like the big rimmed glasses, and he was yeah, wearing, you, you like, You could a... clearly tell he was the warden. He wouldn't be looking like he, you know, just got done with his shift at Starbucks. Interesting way of putting it. Well, no, he looked like a barista. He was wearing, like, a grunge shirt. He looked like like if Kurt Cobain was still alive and lost all his hair and his, and his you know, will to live, which was already hanging by a thread. Ooh, harsh. Was still there. <laughs> um. So, yeah. Also, what... It goes from it being, like, the whole song and dance thing to it being, like, a Shakespearean-style melodrama. We open up with two characters, Kareem and Omar, uh, talking, and I guess they've had, like, a blood feud, and they realize, you know, instead of being two, you know, African-American gentlemen who are trying to kill each other, they, they should just get along. Hmm. Was one of the, was one of those characters the one that ultimately performed at the show at the beginning? That was Omar. So like that was the one where there was like that drug deal taking sort of drug deal taking place. Yeah, one of the inmates says to another inmate, "Hey, I when... could I could keep track of the character names." Yeah, let's just say one inmate. So well, the guy we thought looked like most deaf. Yeah, I was so disappointed to learn it wasn't most deaf. Yeah. Um. He he says to the guy who looks like Ron Funches. <laughs> that would have been amazing if it was Ron Funches. He's like, how do you perform? And then Ron Funches was like, oh, yeah, the way I perform is that I take a little... Anyways, he, he, uh, he says, well, 
to get over my stage fright, I do crack cocaine. And then he takes out this vial. Gives him a little tiny vial and just says, like, if you need it, take the edge off. And then he. But then he ultimately doesn't need it. He performs on stage. He sings uh, The Monkeys. Right. Like the waves out on the blue sea. If your love has to tie me, don't cry me. Say goodbye. I want to be free. And he gives it, uh, like, he ultimately, like, gives the vial back to him. He's just like, I didn't need it. Like, in my notes, I just have as my note, uh, singing is the real anti-drug. Yeah. It was like, if you looked at it without any sort of context, it was the most sort of weird, like, meandering anti-drug campaign ad you'd ever seen. Well, and then after, we don't see Omar for the rest of the episode, so I wrote... I wrote in my notes, he got the stage bug, and he just <laughs> broke out of prison, and he, he's on Broadway doing some soft shoes. <laughs> know what? I don't need drugs. All I need is to dance, dance, dance. It's a revolution. That was weird. We yeah, took a, a lot sip of, of water at the same time. <laughs> you might actually hear that. A lot of characters just pop in and out of this I mean, I don't know if that's a feature of the show, but this episode, certainly, they just pop in and out, like, just with no explanation of what what ultimately happens later. Yeah, I mean, I get that it's supposed to be like a St. Elsewhere style, a day in the life, but also, the writing in the show is so graphic, like, for the dialogue. Betty Buckley, when, when Omar is having his stage fright, she says, normally I would say you should picture them all naked, but, you know, given your situation, you've already seen them naked, and I was like... Holy shit! Jesus Christ! Oh boy! Unfortunate, uh, unfortunate uh, term of phrasing. Um. Also, and then after, like, so the two guys we saw at the beginning, uh, Omar and Kareem, Kareem is now in the laundry room, and I guess him and his group, his gang, have like a laundry circle. <laughs> I was waiting for one guy to say to the other, be like, hey, can you pass the whites? <laughs> I also have in my notes, like, they, they advertise this as, like, the musical episode, and there are quite a few musical numbers in it, but it takes so long to get yeah. to the actual musical numbers, and I have, I mean, when it's... are we going to the fireworks <laughs> factory? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it's advertised as the musical episode, but it's not really that in, you know, a sort of traditional sense, because... I figure when you picture, like, a musical episode, it's either an episode based sorely around a musical, or it's just, like, everyone's doing musical numbers. But this one, it's, like we mentioned earlier, it's just these little interstitial bits that just act as buffers in between scenes that have no connection to anything whatsoever. Like, they introduce who's gonna be in the next scene. Um, Right, I guess that's that, yeah. Yeah, and the musical numbers are just so ridiculous, because, like... As I said before, it's like a Godspell style. They go from, like, this plain, brightly colored room. Each guy has, like, a different color that, you know, accents them, like, blue, red, (coughs) yellow. And then then there's weird stuff going on. And and one of the guys is singing a Todd Rundgren song about going to Vietnam. (laughs) Oh, man. Um... Also, J.K. Simmons, as a white supremacist, is... At first, I thought it was terrifying, and then, like, the, when and you listen to mus- what... And then their musical number came up. Well, not just that, but, like, some of the stuff he's saying is less, like, like terrifying and more, like... He becomes, like, the one out of five dentists, <laughs> where, like, one of, his, one of his gang members is, like, having tooth troubles, and he's like, oh, you should go see, uh... The dentist, and it's it's Asif Mandiv, and he's like, oh yeah, yeah, you're gonna need us to put like this dead guy's gums in your mouth, and I mean, I don't claim to know the thinking behind white supremacists or anything like that, but maybe when you're dealing with like you know someone who's gonna be poking around inside your mouth, maybe drop it for like one second if oh, there's one if there's one person you don't want to insult and denigrate it's the guy who's going to be taking a scalpel to your gums yeah and that guy doesn't stop like even jk simmons is like yeah maybe you shouldn't be so 
offensive when you're talking to the dentist. He's like, I even like the dentist. He's a nice guy. Um, and uh, Asif Mandiv, his whole speech, like he drugs the guy up and then he's like, you don't know who you could be getting. You could be getting like a Jew. And I was like, oh boy. That's not the Yeah, that whole scene basically turned it into like... Uh, Marathon like just... Man. <laughs> I was going to say Saw, but yeah, basically. It's just like teeth torture porn at that point. It, it, and, yeah. they, and they show him like, you know, poking uh, at the gums with a syringe when there's blood in his teeth and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I had to look away a bunch of I times. I put my hand over the screen. I was telling Scott that, like, I don't consider myself especially squeamish when it comes to like blood and gore and stuff. But there's just like two things that are off limits to me. Teeth and eyes. I, I can't abide by that. Uh, another thing that they do, they do flashbacks in between scenes to tell you like what's going on, but they don't connect and they don't make any sense. And one of the things that was supposed to be terrifying is they show a guy, like a lawyer or businessman, getting stabbed. And as the knife comes out, you just hear a trumpet go... <laughs> I honestly thought it was a goofy scream before I realized it was the trumpet. And the the acting is not good by this guy. The guy who's <laughs> dying, he's like smiling. He's like, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? Am I dying? Is this how I'm supposed to go? Goodbye, cruel world. It's like bad intro to film sort of material. Well, I wonder, did they have like student filmmakers do like these in-between scenes? Because... I mean, maybe. the Those in-between flashback spots were way differently shot than the actual show yeah I, like lower lower in quality that might have been on purpose though um and here's an example of a show that needs a narrative that just stays on like a normal a normal drama would focus on say four people four different plot lines you would have an a b and see a story, and then the fourth person would go in between those three stories. And ideally, any other characters that are introduced, like, they would still just sort of ultimately revolve around that core group of characters. And this is, like, everyone. They're like, you know, it's a show about a prison. Everyone's their own main character, basically. Yeah, it's a show about a prison, but let's focus on the entire prison. And it's really, really confusing. I think the best way to describe it is, have you ever heard uh, Paul Thomas Anderson talk about being on Magnolia? I have not. So he's like, <laughs> so when I was working on Magnolia, they hand me this script the size of a phone book, and then the people in the phone book just start talking to each other. <laughs> and that's what this felt like. It's like everyone in the phone book is now talking to each other. Um, because Oh, man. Uh, there's also a subplot where Dean Winter, who you may know from, uh, he was on 30 Rock, but he's also Mr. Mayhem, uh, in from the, those commercials, from the insurance commercials. And when he came on <laughs> stage, uh, when he came on stage, when he came on screen, he was like, uh, he was so intense and he's like, I'm going to kill that guy. <laughs> and I, I said to myself, I, I wrote down, <laughs> With mayhem like me, you know it's possible. <laughs> like, oh. his, his character ends up... Like, they all have, like, plots, but they don't go anywhere. Like, you think that he's going to reform because his new... I guess his old cellmate was this mentally handicapped guy who I wrote... His name was Cyril, but I wrote Lenny from Of Mice and Men. And he's basically on death row now. And um, his new inmate... His new cellmate, inmate, cellmate, whatever, is, you thought it was George Coe. You thought it was Woodhouse. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it legitimately sounded like uh, George Coe's voice just doing an Irish accent. But the guy who played him just, I looked up his IMDb, his name is Macaulay Bright, and he's... he's not he, not a name I recognize. He's played priests in like several different other movies and shows. Oh, so this was like stunt casting. Yeah, pretty much. Hmm. Um... And there's a scene where I, a good chunk of it revolves around Dean Winter this episode, like the whole middle chunk. I guess there's a turf war. Uh, I thought it was weird that he didn't sing at all in this episode. Mm. Um, there's a turf war between him and this 
Bruce Lee guy, and he he sends a message by having one of the guy's arms ripped off. And after the guy... I mean, I think his exact words were to diminish him. And that's how he diminished him, by ripping his arm off. Right. <laughs> and Interesting choice of words. And I said to you, so like... You can't get more diminished than having an arm missing. And I said to you, so there, there's a scene before leading up to this where they're playing basketball and David Zazas from um, Dexter, who is one of the cops on Dexter, is uh, one of these uh, Latin kings, or Latino, you know, inmates, and... He's playing basketball, and the guy who they're going to punish takes his basketball and throws it across the thing. He's like, I want you to take out this guy. And I said to Lee, I was like, well, he did take my basketball, and he did throw it really hard. No, no, no. Your exact words were, he was mean to my basketball. (laughs) Damn it. No, I sound like an idiot. (laughs) He was really mean to my basketball. (laughs) Wilson! Uh, So, yeah... And he says, you can't have it come back to me, and you can't have it come back to you. Well, both of these par- people are having, like, problems with this guy. So, unless this warden is, like, the biggest idiot in the world, he's going to pretty much figure it out. Um, so, after this happens, he walks by the gym, and uh, let's just call him George Co. Father George Co. <laughs> is lifting weights. <laughs> and the way he does it, he has, like, two five-pound weights, and he's just like, eh. <laughs> I mean, they don't show you any more there, but you got to imagine, like, he he eventually got swole. Jesus Christ! (laughs) God damn it! That's insane. Um, How much do you bench, my son? uh, After a while, I just stopped taking notes because it became uh, really intense. I still have some notes, but, like, I couldn't follow the plot, so I was just focusing on some of the most minute things, like, possible. Like, um, every so often they would cut to cafeteria scenes, and this, I can't get over this. Just, all the prisoners were drinking teenies, and that was just so incredibly amusing to me. Well, we have these leftover from Boy Meets World. For those for those of you who don't know, if you've ever seen, like, I mean, you had... You had to have been, like, you know, five or six and been to, like, some birthday party and they have those little tiny plastic bottles with uh, just, like, the fluorescent multicolored juices that don't taste anything like fruit in the slightest. It's just, like, sugary water. They in had the... them in elementary school. Yeah, that's probably true. But, I mean, that that's what those are called, for those of you who don't know. <laughs> They're teenies. <laughs> And that's just so amusing to me. Every every time, no no one had like a glass of water or a coke or anything or like that. Or milk or anything. It was always a teeny. Well, the thing I that I just love that. The thing that that uh, alarmed me with the teenies was that they were all one flavor. I guess this prison could only yeah. They were all orange, orange <laughs> teenies. Do we have grape in the budget? Are you insane? So the prisoners took a vote, and everyone's favorite was the blue one, so we're going to get the orange one, because it's a prison. <laughs> um, yeah, so Rita Moreno, they go back to her and Betty Buckley for a while, because Rita Moreno is the... She's supposed to be uh, a nun, who are... They, they keep calling her sister or whatever, but she's a therapist, and she doesn't wear a habit, so... Cause what? Because she's, she's a modern nun. Yeah, she's undercover. <laughs> um. So, Sister Rita Moreno <laughs> is trying to tell help. That's actually a George Carlin joke, Sister Rita Moreno. Seriously? Yeah. There's like a whole bit where he's talking about his Catholic school upbringing, <laughs> and he lists a bunch of. Uh, like sisters, and then a bunch of obviously fake sisters, like Sister Rita Moreno and uh, Our Lady of Perpetual Motion. <laughs> Go on. So Sister Rita Moreno is um, trying to help Cyril, uh, Mis- Mr. Mayhem, Dean Winters, um, uh, mentally handicapped guy, because I guess he's going to get the death penalty, the judges, because he keeps interrupting because he doesn't understand what's going on. So she gives him a sock puppet, and 
he she's like yeah well if you run into problems whisper into this sock puppet <laughs> it's like yeah you're not gonna help his case that he's not crazy <laughs> he's now carrying a sock puppet on his right hand that he named jericho and <laughs> because babylon is gonna fall is what he says not a badly made sock puppet either for you know just something you just scrounged up in a prison so, uh... It's got the little button eyes. It's even got, like, a little slightly different colored felt for the mouth. You could you could do a lot worse for a sock puppet. I mean, there's just so much going on. There, there's a subplot about training uh, seeing-eye dogs. And then, like, <laughs> the, the final scene, like, the musical numbers, you have Crazy Town. You, ha- you have... I have in my notes Crazy Town. So one of the inmates... It wasn't actually Crazy Town, but the guy singing it looked so much like the guy from Crazy Town. And the the music sounded like Crazy Town, too. It was like... Sugar, baby. Just the most base-level white guy rapping you can you can imagine. Freewell, can't seem to get our fill. We are beggars, we are losers. Drunk from lack of power, I believe in... And he is covered in tattoos. Yep. And so, so you have that. You have Rita. T- touching back on like uh, the training the police dog thing you mentioned. Okay. Um, they showed like when they were showing that a bunch of different times. They're doing all the tests and stuff. Uh, there was a German Shepherd and a yellow lab for some reason. Like he looked like Mr. Peanut Butter. Yeah, I don't know anything about police dogs, but I've never like I've never seen like a yellow lab as a police dog, and that just just doesn't seem to work for me. Well, it was supposed to be a seeing-eye dog. Like, they were training these dogs oh, okay. to, to be, like, medical assistant dogs. Um, okay, that makes more sense. Because yellow labs are way too friendly to be police dogs. You just see one, you want to put a little bandana on it. <laughs> well, not to beat the Paul, uh, Paul F. Tompkins horse, it would be great to, <laughs> if it was the voice of Paul F. Tompkins <laughs> as Mr. Peanut Butter as the inner mom like of this dog. Kirk Avocado, it is great to see you, my good sir. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. Like Tori Amos and Todd Rundgren, what is this? A crossover episode? <laughs> so going we, back we to cl- we clearly like BoJack Horseman. <laughs> going back to uh, um, the musical numbers, so you have a Tori Amos song sung by. Uh, B.D. Wong, who plays the priest on the show, and, like, his subplot is that there's a Satanist who looks like uh, Big Pete he, uh, from Pete and Pete, and he knows that this guy's lying, so the Satanist has his church burned down with him in it, and he just gets badly burned. But when B.D. Wong is singing, all I can hear is his singing voice from Mulan. Like, he's singing the Story Amo song, Leather. And all I hear is, Let's get down to business and defeat the Huns. Was that B.D. Wong? That was B.D. Wong. Oh. And... Yep. Very cool. So, it, it was just, it was weird seeing, like, people who are trained musicals, uh, like, professional musicians and, like, stars of Broadway, like, like Rita Moreno and B.D. Wong, and then you have, like, guys who can't really sing, and then you have J.K. Simmons, who I didn't know. He is the freaking voice of an angel. Yeah, he's he's got himself some pipes. And he's singing uh, Last Duet. He's singing this Lily Tomlin Barry, uh, Barry Manlow song. <laughs> you sneak into my mind and make my head ache look it's time to face the music bye bye uh with the guy who played terry in uh wayne's world the i love you man and they are they are oh boy are they going at it yeah, like they're thrusting. I was I wasn't kidding when hands. I said they were rubbing their butts together earlier. Like yeah, they do the the butt touch, and then like after they do the little disco pointy thing a couple of times. And J.K. Simmons is thrusting like crazy, <laughs> like geez. And then the yes. next scene they cut to after like this this kind of insane kind of funny musical number is him just taking a dump on the <laughs> toilet. Like yeah, he's like reading a In- magazine. <laughs> Interesting cutaway. Yeah. So you went with that choice, huh? 
And then, like, the episode ends with, like, the white supremacist beating up this this guy this guy who was bragging about like raping a bunch of people it's 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 insane like the show is i would if we didn't do this on the podcast to just cover like how insane this show is this this is like why i started writer's bagel basket like this type of show because this show is holy crap it's like a kangaroo driving a car (laughs) it's all over the place and it gets you where you need to go you know the end of the episode but Holy crap. Like, everything about this episode is insane. Um, I still have a lot of notes that we haven't even gotten to. Oh, go ahead. Go through them. I'm out because I just, after a while, I was just like, I'm done. Well, I mean, there at one point in the episode, there's like a subplot about, um, I forget what the, what like the finer details of it is, but basically someone frames someone for sticking, uh, for like drugging Drugs. someone's for drugging someone's food. And right as they're leading up to that point, right as they're getting into that meeting, there's like a bunch like a bunch of the prisoners just sitting around a TV watching something and it's some really really weird porn. Like it's just basically like firefighter women in firefighter outfits doing squats. And I guess oh. I guess there's like a kink for everything, but still Oh, I thought I thought this was the other uh, time they were watching TV because they were watching the news report that B.D. Wong's parish burned down. I was like, right. that wasn't porn. That was the news. <laughs> no, no, this was earlier in the episode, I think. What and type dur- of and- porn are you watching? <laughs> and this this was something that I couldn't let go when they were trying to figure out who they could get to like basically. Like, they basically wanted someone to say, like, oh, I... They wanted someone to lie and say, I saw this guy drugging the food, and... just they find when Joe ta- Flaherty in a yeah, fisherman's yeah, when, oven. when they're talking, just some random guy pops in, and he just has, like, a bucket hat. Looks like he's going for a nice little fishing trip. And just with no... Exp- then it just cuts away, and he's just like, I saw them put the drugs in the food. He looked like Joe Flaherty. Like he he looked like Joe Flaherty. This looked like like an episode of SCTV. I don't I don't know if that was like a previously established character from another episode and we just Probably. didn't realize it, but all I could think of like is just that's that's the fishing that's the fishing guy. For the whole episode, every time he popped up, it was just like, "Oh, there's the fishing guy again." He's like Klinger. This is his like thing instead of dressing in dresses he maybe if i dress like a fisherman they'll let me out of prison because they think that oh man we need to let this guy out because he needs to get to port yeah there's tilapia to be caught he said he was gonna catch me 500 salmon by gum is he gonna do it if i get back to your cell and there's nothing in there but carp someone's getting a beating this is like the role that like Pat and Oswald would joke about playing on like Oz like like they asked me to do an episode of Oz and I was like why and they're like we need a guy to play a fisherman. <laughs> I understand now, you completely. Don't worry about it. I'll be there at 5 a.m. Now I kind of wish that was the case. I sincerely wish that just it was Pat and Oswald for no reason because that would have just made my day so very wonderfully. Just Patton Oswalt for no reason in an episode of Oz as the fishing guy. Like, and there's all these talk of just like we need to drug the food and oh the Latin kings are going like and Patton Oswalt is just like, have you seen my lures? <laughs> Shut up, fishing guy. We're talking. I, <laughs> I need dokey. them. I need them to get the to get the trout. Got it's, any it's night spawning colors? season? I need to get them before the month is out. <laughs> We got to pick up this guy. We need to get him on the Andrea Gale. <laughs> Time for a port- perfect storm, buddy. Um, and once again, like he he says this to the Mike Judge looking warden. And he's like, "Yeah, I saw them do this." And he's like, "Okay, you haven't lied to me yet, Fisherman Steve." <laughs> I trust you inherently, fishing guy. And yeah, it just cuts like right between the two. Just like, who are we gonna get? Hi, hi, I'm Fishing Guy. Well, I he... saw them do the thing. Okay, I trust you inherently. Well, he just walks in. He's like, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they just look at each other like it's a sitcom. <laughs> like, like you can Have make you this... seen where I put my net? <laughs> you can make this show a sitcom <laughs> if you took out, like, all of, like, the hate speech and, like, the, the, the talk about, like, 
you know, violating another human being and, like, all of the violence, if you took it out, like, all of that stuff and added a laugh track in, <laughs> you would have a great sitcom because the days like these song that they played, there, it sounded like a theme song to a TV show. There has to have been, like, at some point, because there's been, like, sitcoms for everything at this point, there had to have been something that took place in a prison. Well, that just did like a, the wacky, the wacky prison or something like that. I don't know about that. The closest that I can remember is Barney Miller. Like they would arrest people and they would put them in like the drunk tank or like, like you know, a holding cell. See, I was thinking like Hogan's Heroes kind of filled that, except in a more sort of historical. Like it had that very. Well, sort that of... was a prisoner of war camp during World War Two. Yeah, and it like, was. It was still a wacky prison though. And the guy who was supposed to be our Urkel, like. We've talked about this on the podcast before. The guy who's supposed to be, like, our Urkel is a Nazi. I mean, there were Nazis in Oz. Yeah, they weren't the fun Colonel <laughs> Clank type either. Um, yeah, they weren't the fun Nazis. <laughs> they weren't the Mel Brooks-style Nazis. Like, um, <laughs> It was like an Eddie Izzard bit where he's talking about, like, this one scene in uh, Saving Private Ryan, uh... You know the scene where they like the come across. Willy, they come toot, across. Toot. Yeah, team, steamboat Willie, toot toot! I love America, America. And then Greta Garbo, what gams? <laughs> that guy, yeah. And like he just makes the point that like it gets then it gets the audience to thinking, oh, he's not a bad Nazi. He must be a good Nazi. <laughs> sure. Um, like I I don't think this the show like back then back in the nineties. I guess that like. It was like a cutting edge and edgy show, right? But looking this was at like, it, this was like right when HBO was breaking into that niche with like The Sopranos and a whole bunch of other shows too, right? Yeah, because the only other shows they had at this point was like Arliss and Sex. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> I'm not making my point here. I, and like Sex and the City. I could have gone the rest of my life without remembering that Arliss existed. What you don't like me, Robert Wool? All I can remember of Arliss is when uh, uh, David Letterman would always just be like, Arliss, Arliss. <laughs> um, like, it was, that, it, it was that moment when they, like, hadn't done anything. I don't think Band of Brothers had come out yet. Uh, I think the only other, like, dramatic show they had was the Tom Hanks space miniseries from the Earth to the Moon. Like, I think that was about it. Hmm. And... So they were still just kind of finding their footing in terms of... Like... I truly believe they were. Hmm. And for a musical episode, like, I gotta say, the musical, like, moments of the show were kind of, like, fun. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying that about Oz. <laughs> Man, they had razzmatazz. They had razzmatazz at the wazoo. They got moxie. But then, like, everything else, it just felt like such a tone shift that you go from like right it's mood whiplash and <laughs> speaking of jk simmons whiplash um ah. it just it didn't feel natural no no it didn't it didn't feel like it was flowing it felt like they were doing a musical episode because this was like 2003 2004 when like the whole thing buffy just did a musical episode the whole thing in the early 2000s is like your tv show if you want it to last you need to do a musical episode that's so weird that that would be the thing that determines a show's length and i i mean like was that i guess that would have been like the hip thing to be doing during that time i mean you listed buffy as an example were there other shows that were doing that yeah um and i, I don't mean like you know just like oh this is a gimmick for a sitcom sort of thing like just straightforward this is the musical episode we don't normally get this lighthearted, but we're going this direction well that 70s show did one um i know there was an episode of once and again uh, i'm trying to remember if they did an episode i think one of the soap operas did like a musical episode huh that's pretty nuts <clears throat> so like like this was a thing and that this is because like broadway was like resurging again. And was like, this wait? Was this around the? Uh, this might have come later in the aughts, but was this around the time when like? Because I remember I suggested this for you when like you were talking about episodes to do. Was this around the time that like Viva Laughlin was coming out? Yep. Oh boy. Exactly. 
It was, yeah. Was, that was the Oof. Hugh Jackman show, right? Yeah, the one that got canceled after a single episode. Yeah, because like, Hugh was like, oh, I don't know if this like X-Men thing is going to work out. <laughs> Boy, was so I why, wrong. So why don't I do this musical show set in Las Vegas for NBC or whichever network it was? Well, weren't there other people on it too? I'm pretty sure, but I can't remember. Like, who. I thought, like, Rob Lowe was on it. Kyle oh, Bob no. Or... Rob Lowe doing a musical. I, I, I can't abide by that. Well, I'm surprised. Like, the closest that Parks and Rec ever did to a musical episode was when they did the Unity concert, and that, but they let the singing be done by, like, the Decemberists and, like, Wilco in Letters to Cleo. Like, they let, they let the professionals do it. Mm. So... As a musical episode, was this a good example of a musical episode? I mean, like I mentioned at the be top... Be as blunt as you want to be. Like I mentioned at the top, it's by no means like... Because when I think of a musical episode, it's either an episode based around a musical, or, you know, it's more sort of like the musical is front and center of like, you know, that... Ev- like every so often there's just musical bits. Like it's an episode of... Like it's like it's a Andrew Lloyd Webber musical, basically. Like the music ties into the plot and all this sort of stuff. And this was just bizarre, whatever it was. It was just a mishmash of all of that sort of stuff. And like the musical numbers, as we mentioned, had nothing to do with the plot whatsoever. So I wouldn't characterize it so much as a musical episode, so much as like a fever dream. Yes, that's exactly how I would describe it. It's a freaking fever dream. Um, and, and, and what's more, like, neither of us have seen Oz, so if this was the episode that was meant to, like, introduce us to the show, wow. That... <laughs> it would make me want to watch it, like, like, are they all gonna be like this? But knowing that this is the only, like, <laughs> musical episode they did. I mean, I might watch it just to be like, will this show ever get sane again? <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. Um. But then, like, the episode you picked was, like, right near the end of the series, though, so... I mean, How is this my fault? <laughs> I, I didn't say it was. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm just saying. I'm I just, don't understand why you come on my podcast you, and then you, you were just. When you talk to me like this, it's just. It's, uh, no, I just don't, don't, no, don't, I just, don't. No, I just. No, stop, no, wa- stop waving your arms around. <laughs> <laughs> I just. I was trying to think of shows that, like, you wouldn't consider to be, like, musical oriented. Mm. Um. I mean, our our next episode is definitely right. S- something you. What would I consider. meant by that, it's like it's near the end of the series, so of course, like it's not going to be the best representative of, you know, the show. Yeah, I mean, one another one that I was going to suggest was there was an episode of The Flash last season, where um, they end up, uh, him and Supergirl end up in a musical like a movie musical like a west side story fantastic style musical and then i watched it and i was like i actually kind of like this episode it's not that crazy Mm. it actually makes sense but i wanted something that didn't make sense because we're going to be talking about two other things that that ostensibly make more sense and that hold a nostalgic place in my heart so when uh when you mention like uh, things that made no sense um when you were initially like uh messaging me about uh you know ideas for the third episode one that popped into my head uh i don't know if you remember the cop show quincy at all there was like this oh yeah there was this really infamous With Carl Malden? <laughs> there's this episode that's just like infamously bad where quincy uh i guess i forget what he's tracking down a murder or something and he comes across like it was like at a punk concert so he comes across all these punks and they're just depicted in the most sort of like cane waving get off my lawn kind of way just like very stereotypical leather studs being like we don't need your poison old man and at the end of the I'm ep- a doctor I'm trying to save your life and at the end of the episode Quincy is just sitting at home listening to like Glenn Miller orchestra just positing to himself why would anyone listen to music that makes you hate when you can listen to music that makes you love See, I would have liked it better if you said that he was, like, watching the Lawrence Welk show. Like, thank you, thank you. Now this one goes out to Quincy. More bubbles, everybody. The Marelli sisters. <laughs> Dee Dee and Cece. Dee Dee, when are you going to marry Cece? She's wonderful, ready. wonderful. And a one and a two and a three. Uh, timely references. 
So, yeah, we've come to the end of this episode. Uh, how many bagels out of 13? Uh, refresh me, like 13. 13's good. 13, like, if it's filled with 13, that means, like, the writers were thinking clearly. Like, we did this mainly out of I, nostalgic I should, reasons. I should know this. I did an episode. I thought you listened to our I show. do listen to the episode. You're a liar. Still, oh. Get the hell out. Right, I will do I'll it with just... a sock puppet named Jericho for the rest of the month. Uh, rating. Um, I can't really, I mean, like, this was such a weird thing, but I can't really bring myself to, like, take away all the bagels just because. Speak for I, yourself. <laughs> just because I know that this was just such an anomaly of an episode. I mean, well, I'm going to say, like, I'm leaving three bagels. So you're taking out ten. Yeah, I'm taking See, out ten bagels. Even it I'm, was just so weird, but there was like just a glimmer of hope because I know that this is not what the show is normally about deep right. down. I mean, I'm taking out, I'm leaving five. I'm taking out eight because I'm afraid that I'm gonna like wake up and there's gonna be a knock on my door. J.K. Simmons <laughs> heard your damn podcast, you son of a bitch, and he's just gonna beat the hell out of me. My yeah, thrusting I... was exemplary. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, yeah. the the reasons why I'm taking it out is what we said. Right. But a- as far as, like, the serious drama, if this was, like, just another episode and there was no musical interludes. Right. I can't be totally cruel with my rating towards it just because there were so many things that we found enjoyable about it, which I know wasn't the point, but that's still, like, kind of a point in its favor for me. Also, it was just so incredibly satisfying to see J.K. Simmons slapping that rapist in the face. <laughs> it almost makes up for all the white supremacy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> almost. So, next time, we are covering a little cartoon show called Bob's Burgers. Oh, boy. Uh, so, Lee is going to stick around. He's going to be here all month long. Yep, I got nowhere to go. I, I'm living in my car. <laughs> so, I'm not actually living in my car. So until next time, I am Scott Kerland. Oh, me. Uh, and I'm Lee Martin. <laughs> All right, bye. Bye.